Hi folks, and welcome to another episode of Runaway Eve. A lot has gone down since last we spoke. I am not feeling like putting together my part two for the myth of Christian persecution in this country quite yet, especially because of the fact that, I don't know, we are living in a time where this religious group that likes to pretend they're persecuted in this country is literally driving decisions at the highest level um, of government in this country. And now a bunch of my rights have either been taken away or are at stake. So not really feeling that subject right now. I will be getting to it next weekend, probably. I will be out of town for some time at the end, towards the end of the month, so I really want to, I really do want to get part two out for you, especially because I'm pretty sure that the Christian persecution myth arc will actually end up being three parts, not just two. So I will be working on that, but I wanted to pop in today because I'm here, I'm bored, I'm in a mood, and it's been a really fucking long time since we've talked about Josh Harris and his god-awful book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. So let's get into part two. So welcome to the book club. We're talking about, um, this is chapter two of Josh's book. So we're still in part one. We are on chapter two. I'm going to talk about just chapter two today. So this might be short. It might be long. I have no idea. I guess it'll depend on how much I ramble. But today we're talking about chapter two, the seven habits of highly defective dating. And I want you to keep in mind a few running themes throughout this chapter, especially pertaining to the fact that people in this mindset feel like they can't trust themselves, feel like they can't trust their bodies, their urges, um, feel like they can't be around people. I mean, again, this this whole book is is very heteronormative, so we are specifically talking about straight people, so they feel like they can't trust themselves around people of the opposite sex. There will be a lot of I what I believe are over-exaggerated, maybe even fake stories. Remember Josh likes to invoke couples, again, all hetero couples and anecdotes that he has heard either himself or heard from people. The first one in this chapter is actually a story that supposedly uh, he heard a youth pastor tell. So there's a lot of that. There's a lot of anecdotes. Um, And yeah, let's just dive right in to chapter two of Josh Harris's book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. So he starts this chapter by telling a story about grocery shopping while hungry and getting a shitty cart. So he talks about how when you go to the grocery store, you shouldn't shop for groceries when you're hungry. But another, uh, I think what he calls pitfall of shopping is getting a shitty cart. He, of course, doesn't call it a shitty cart, but you know, um, and he, he's not, believe it or not, he is not comparing women to shopping carts at first. I just assumed that that's what he was doing, but he's not. He he talks about the, the carts with like the squeaky wheel or like, you know, broken carts, whatever. But then he also talks about what he calls a swerver, which I guess is like, I don't know. He talks about it like it's a common thing. I don't, I don't think I've ever experienced this. But I guess he's talking about like a shopping cart that 
when you're trying to go one way, like if you're trying to go in a straight line, like it kind of swerves to the side. I don't know. And again, this is where I was like, excuse me? But he's not comparing women to carts. He's comparing dating to carts. So um, he talks about how his, his, what he calls bad luck with grocery carts, um, he, he calls it a battle of wills and says that he's experienced that same battle of wills with dating. He says that dating itself is a swerver, one of these carts that kind of goes its own way, um, quote, a set of values and attitudes that wants us to go in a direction different from the one God has mapped out for us. So, and, and this was something that was a big part of chapter one. He's at odds with what he what he kind of defines as like the world's view on dating. And it's interesting to me that he this whole book, right, is about is about him like presenting this alternative to like traditional contemporary worldly dating but that in and of itself is so weird to me because it's like and I think I may have said this in in part one like if you don't want to date don't date if you want to court court if you want to just go out and hook up with random people just go out and hook up with random people like I don't understand this insistence on creating like a new way of doing things when it's basically just the same way of doing things you're just prioritizing your values which is there's nothing inherently wrong with that you absolutely should prioritize your values in any in any interaction or relationship you have so so I'm, I'm sorry I'm digressing already but yeah so so he calls dating and again when he says that he means like non-christian just like of the world dating he calls it a swerver. So basically like this situation that wants to guide you into a direction that is not the one that you should be going in. He also says that self-control isn't enough. And he illustrates that with a story about a couple who he calls Eric and Jenny. He says that these were two people who... He calls them strong Christians, which I absolutely love it when people like qualify the the term Christian with something like he was a strong Christian. She was a good Christian. Like, what does that even fucking mean? But anyway, so two strong Christians. Um, he's telling a story that that he heard a youth pastor tell. So I guess these two people were in the, the youth pastor's youth group, which is really fucking weird that this guy is like using their story to make some kind of statement years later in his youth group but whatever man that's to me that's basically gossip which i'm pretty sure jesus doesn't like but hey you're the one that makes exceptions for the sins that you want to commit anyway eric and jenny um he says the relationship started out innocently enough, but soon turned physical, and then they broke up, quote, discouraged and hurt. And the youth pastor explains that years later, they were still suffering over the choices that they had made in that relationship. I guess he saw them at some kind of reunion, and apparently Jenny cried 
even though she's now married with kids, <laughs> she cried because she saw Eric and felt sad because she had sex with him or whatever. Um, and then Eric said, and I quote, the wounds still haven't healed. And I, I, th- I think it's really interesting because Josh says that the youth pastor's point in telling the story was essentially just to tell them to wait to have sex until they get married. But Josh is kind of telling this story as like, yeah, that's not enough, though. That, like, that's not good enough advice. He says the youth pastor told this story and then everyone's just kind of quiet, sitting there waiting for some sort of solution, some sort of guidance, some sort of advice. But all all the the like the point was the point of the story was just to, um, you know, again, just just further hit home that you shouldn't have sex until you're married. And it's it's this part drove me crazy a little bit because it's like, God damn it, Josh, you are so close to the point. You are so close to the point. Like you're writing this whole ass book because you you want to have a better alternative to a dating system that you see as broken and you want guidance that apparently you didn't get. But it's like, that's, that's literally the fucking problem with evangelical Christianity when it comes to these subjects. There is no advice. It's just don't do this. And they expect you just not to do it. So I, I highlighted a quote here in my notes. Is this the answer? Head out on the same course as those who have fallen and hope that in the critical moment, you'll be able to stay in control. And on one hand, it's so funny to me the way he's talking about sex and it sounds like he's talking about fucking going to war or something like the 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 language and just the the gravity and the seriousness of it it's it's fucking funny but 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 at the same time like he has a point and and this is again where I lost my mind a little bit because it's like you were so close to getting it yes this is their answer this is their answer to fucking everything no advice no actual guidance just don't do this do this don't do this don't do this or you're going to hell. Don't do this or you're really going to hell. Like that is, that is the advice. So yeah, this was their answer. And and no, Josh, I agree with you. It's not a good enough answer, but it was their answer. So then he goes on to set up, you know, this was just kind of the intro to this chapter. He says that dating has built-in problems. Um, He calls these our culture's defective attitudes and patterns for romance. And these are his seven habits of highly defective dating. So the first one is that dating leads to intimacy, but not necessarily to commitment. And I'm going to right off the bat, just point out that those are two very different things that don't necessarily have to come together. You can have intimacy without commitment. You can have commitment without intimacy. Ideally, in a healthy long-term relationship, you would want to have both, but they don't need to coexist to exist. But anyway, he tells us another story. He talks about a couple, Jamie and Troy. I hate the word Troy. I hate that name. I don't, I mean, I don't hate it as a name. I just can hardly say it. So if I sound weird saying Troy, um, it's because I can barely say that word. So uh, talking about Jamie and Troy, um, he says 
they never, in their relationship, they never, and again, their relationship took place in high school. I think most of these stories that he tells take place in high school. So physically, they never did anything more than just kiss, he says, but they shared emotional intimacy. At some point, I guess it was like a couple months before going off to college, Troy abruptly ends the relationship and Jamie is devastated. And before I continue, I just need to point out that breakups fucking suck. And sometimes people, when they end relationships, do it very callously and do it very carelessly. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they have very valid reasons for moving on from a relationship. Sometimes they don't. This is across the board. I think it's important to, to again, just reiterate that this is, this is coming from the mind of someone who is entrenched in this culture where the ideal situation for young people is not dating at all. It's courtship. And so it's, which, which we'll get into a little bit, I think, in the uh, later, later on, well, he gets into this kind of in one of these points, but courtship, you're basically hanging out with the intention of getting married. So there, there really is no, I mean, certainly like courtships can end and, and people do choose to end those relationships, but it's, it's rare. Um, and it's usually, I would say almost always when that does happen, it's mutual. So he's coming from a culture that where like breakups aren't really a thing. And so I think that that's why there's this like right here in this section, there's this big emphasis on Troy wanted to end the relationship and Jamie was really hurt. Well, like that, that sounds like just an, a normal everyday thing <laughs> to me. It sucks. I've been on both sides of that situation. It fucking hurts. But it is what it is. So, yeah, so I just had to throw that in there. But um, Josh says, Jamie had completely given her heart and emotions to Troy. Troy had enjoyed, the, had enjoyed the intimacy while it served his needs, but then rejected her when he was ready to move on. And again, like to me, being kind of on the outside looking in at this point, that just sounds like she poured more into the relationship. Maybe she took it a little more seriously. Maybe she maybe she thought it was something that it wasn't. I, I don't know. Like, it sounds like, yeah, the relationship was a little one-sided. And at some point, Troy decided he wanted to end it. it I don't want to... <laughs> Again, pretty sure this is a fake story. But it's something that happens often. So I don't want to downplay anybody who who is in a position like Jamie, but she was hurt because Troy didn't want to be with her anymore. Like, end of story. But it, it's but it's his illustration for this point, so let's take it seriously. Um, Josh calls, quote, deepening intimacy without defining a level of commitment dangerous, again, with that heavy language, and compares it to, quote, Going mountain climbing with a partner who isn't sure that she wants the responsibility of holding your rope. So this is coming from someone who has never been mountain climbing, will probably never go mountain climbing. But folks, if you go mountain climbing with someone who 
isn't really sure if they if they're up to holding the rope for you like you could literally fall and die that's not comparable to being broken up with because your partner wasn't on the same level as you just putting it out there and i've been through some rough hard hurtful breakups i know that they can feel like death but they're not actually death okay so again this is coming from someone who who sees the who sees relationships ending as an affront to god and god's plan so just keep that in mind here's a a nice quote from josh an intimate relationship is a beautiful experience that god wants us to enjoy but he has made the fulfillment of intimacy a byproduct of commitment-based love. You might say that intimacy between a man and a woman is the icing on the cake of a relationship headed towards marriage. And if we look at intimacy that way, then most dating relationships are pure icing. And I have a lot to say about this. A whole hell of a lot to say about this quote. So, first of all, intimacy... And, and I'm not going to play into the heteronormativity of this fucking book. So intimacy between two people who want to be in a relationship with each other, two or more. Intimacy between people. How about let's just put it like that. Intimacy between people that want to be in a relationship with each other is not, nor should it be, the icing on the cake of a relationship headed towards marriage. Intimacy should be foundational in any romantic relationship that you're in regardless of of goals regardless of how serious you are some level of intimacy shit even if you're just fucking like even if you're just fucking fuck buddies not even friends with benefits right because because friendship is a relationship not even that you're just fucking you call each other you get together when you want to have sex you still have a level of physical intimacy between you. I, I can't. And I think I'll be honest, like this is one of the most devastating things to me about this mindset. Intimacy is not the icing on the cake of a relationship. Intimacy is foundational to a relationship as it should be. So that's gross. And then to say that if, if intimacy is the icing, and the cake is the relationship, most dating relationships are just icing, you have such a warped idea of what a relationship is and can be and should be. To say something like that is just, it's, it's sad. It's really sad. If that's the way that you view dating relationships and that's the way that you view like getting to know people you're romantically or sexually interested in, as just like filler, all fluff. I, I'm just kind of sit, sitting here like dumbfounded because what, just what a sad fucking way to live. I've said this on this podcast before and I think that this is a great time to say it again. I am so fucking glad that I was never desirable enough to be courted when I was still in the church. Like, thank God, every fucking day of my life, I wake up and thank the universe that nobody picked me and and nobody wanted to marry 16 year old me um 
because this is just reading about this and knowing that there are people I mean I think I said this or I'm sure I said this before before I started this this uh, book club series but you know Josh Harris has denounced all of this um I'm pretty sure he's on his own like deconstruction journey whatever but there are still so many people that that do believe this and that, that are so indoctrinated and so balls deep in this bullshit way of viewing commitment and relationships and intimacy and love and sex. It's just, it's so fucking sad. So I just, I, I included this quote and I knew I was going to have a lot to say on it. So let's move on. Uh, okay, here, here we go. Josh talks about how dating hasn't been around forever, and he's, again, comparing dating to courtship. He says couples used to really only link up if they plan to marry. So that's, that's, what, I was, that's what I was saying. That's courtship. Um, he attributes this to our entertainment-driven, disposable everything American culture. Shifts in our cultural values brought on change that, quote, allowed people to indulge in all the thrills of romantic love without having any intention of marriage. And I mean, he's right. He's not wrong. It's it's it, he's he's saying it from such a condescending place, but he's not wrong. Um, he talks in his in his book. He references a book that I actually really want to read. It is called... I didn't write it down, so I'm trying to find it on the page. It's called, it, it's by a woman named Beth Bailey, and it's called From Front Porch to Back Seat. And it chronicles the, the shift in attitudes in, in our country towards, or I guess in, in like Western culture, um, towards dating and dating norms. Sounds interesting. But yeah, so he references that. And, and again, like our, our, our values and, and as a society and as a culture, things have shifted. I don't necessarily see this as a bad thing, but Josh clearly does. Um, I, and I, okay, I, I put another quote here. I really like this line. Love and romance became things people could enjoy solely for their recreational value. And again, he's saying this as a bad thing, but not everyone wants to get married not everybody who is fresh out of high school 18 19 20 wants to meet someone and then spend the rest of their life with them love and romance and sex and all of it should be things that people can just enjoy recreational value I, I like that term. Like he's using it again. He's not. He's not happy about this. He, I think he's trying to use it in kind of a derogatory way. But I love it. Hell yeah, love and romance can be purely for recreation. There's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with just meeting people to meet people and and hang out and and explore what you like and what you don't like. Not just you know. Uh, of course, I'm I'm referring to sex as well, but even just like in people, like how do you know that the person that you meet at youth group when you're 18 is going to, like you don't know what their habits are like. You don't know what living with them, what cooking with them, what driving in a car with them, what sleeping in the same bed with them, 
would be like. You just don't. And a lot of those things can be deal breakers. So yeah, I think it I think it's great to treat to treat dating as recreation, to treat, you know, meeting new people and exploring various kinds of relationships as recreation. So I like this. Uh, he doesn't, but I do. Um, and that's kind of where this, this part ends. So let's go on to two. So number two, again, these are the seven habits of defective dating. Number two, dating tends to skip the friendship stage of a relationship. And what's really interesting to me is, again, he's comparing this to courtship, where literally from day one, you are hanging out solely to eventually get married. So I would say courtship skips the friendship stage, but that's <laughs> that's irony that went way over Josh's head, isn't it? Tells another story. This time we're talking about Jack and Libby. Jack wanted to get to know Libby better, so he asked her to go to the movies. So he says that they met at some kind of like Christian club or something and like club on campus. And he thought he thought Libby was really cool, so he wanted to get to know her better. So he asked her to go to a movie. Now, put a pin in that. Let me just throw out there. Don't if you if you're out there and you want to ask me on a date, first of all, hi. Um, second of all, don't ask me to go to the movies. Uh, I don't really like going to the movies. And when I do go, I prefer to go alone or with a friend who I know will love the particular movie that I'm going to see as much as I will. And so they'll sit there and be quiet and not talk to me. Um, don't, don't, don't go to the movies, especially on a first date. Like, that's ridiculous. How are you going to have any sort of... You're not going to have any conversation with each other. But anyway, so... Swing and a miss just on the movie to begin with. How are you going to get to know someone better if you're both sitting quietly watching a movie? Josh agrees with me. He has a problem with this, but for a very different reason. Um, Josh sees a problem with this because this is a date and it will move the relationship too quickly. So I guess if... So I guess if... I think here he wants to, he's trying to say, he's trying to be very careful about what he says, I think, in this section, because I think what he's getting at is he has a problem with them, with what he, what he calls one-on-one -on -one dating, which, again, sir, Mr. Harris, the opposite of one-on-one -on -one dating would be like dating in groups, whatever, that's fine. What is completely comprised of dating in groups? Courtship. Courtship. Um, yeah, so that's confusing because he's basically, he's basically arguing against... First of all, I don't understand what makes going to the movies a, a date any more than like, okay, he wants to get to know her. Yeah, he probably shouldn't have picked the movies. Okay, cool. Hey, Libby, I want to get to know you better. Let's go get some coffee and have a conversation. Like, is that not also a one-on-one -on -one date? Um, and this, this, this section, it's almost like, like he had his point, right? Okay, dating tends to skip the friendship stage of the relationship. Um, but like his, his like explanation doesn't really match that because like I go to the movies with my friends. The last time I went to the movie, it was with, with a male friend. It wasn't a date. 
it, we just we went to the we went to see a movie we both wanted to see. So so this is kind of weird, but but I put a quote here. So let, let let me just read the quote. In dating, romantic attraction is often the relationship's cornerstone. The premise of dating is I'm attracted to you, therefore let's get to know each other. The premise of friendship on the other hand is we're interested in the same things, let's enjoy these common interests together. If, after developing a friendship, romantic attraction forms, that's an added bonus. Intimacy without commitment is defrauding. Intimacy without friendship is superficial. A relationship based only on physical attraction and romantic feelings will last only as long as the feelings last. So this is, this is a complicated quote because he's, he's kind of, I mean, he's kind of right about some things. Certainly, if you like, like, for example, like a a casual, like, like friends with benefits type situation, you're, you're, that relationship is probably fully and solely built on your physical attraction and sexual attraction for each other. You know, maybe, maybe if you're, if you're heavy on the friends part of friends with benefits, you know, you, maybe you like the same, maybe you like the same shows, maybe you have some similar hobbies, you hang out, you do your hobby, you knock boots and then that's that and 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 I will say I don't I don't hate this this explanation of how a healthy he's not he's not saying it this way but basically what he's saying is like a healthy romantic relationship has all of these different layers you know there's the friendship there's the intimacy there's the commitment and and I would agree that a healthy long-term relationship would have all of those things. But dude, Josh, you literally just called intimacy the icing. You just called intimacy basically the thing that you add at the end that's that's sweet, that doesn't really need to be there, but is nice. So so which which is it? Is it a foundational part of a healthy long long-term relationship? Or is it this extra added thing that's nice if it's there. And I think this is where Josh loses me in this chapter. Like I said, like this is a good this is a, a, a good, interesting point to make, but he's not making it very well. Um, and so I'm really just confused. But I, I would say, yeah, sometimes dating does skip the friendship stage of a relationship. If I'm on a dating app and I'm scrolling through because I want to go out with someone tonight, like, I'm not looking for a friend. I'm not looking for someone to build a friendship with. I'm looking for someone to take me out for a drink tonight, you know? But there absolutely is something to be said for, for being friends with your partner and genuinely liking your partner as a friend. And I don't think that one necessarily has to come before the other. I think it's fucking fantastic when friends fall in love. I love love anyway, but I think it's really cool when when two people are are good friends and then they and then they realize their their romantic feelings for each other. I love when that happens. I don't think it's realistic to to wait around and hope that that happens. I think it's cool to go out and and make friends, find people that have shared interests, find people that have shared values, get to know people that way without necessarily looking for specifically anything romantic or sexual with them. Sure, do that. But your friendship pool and your dating pool should not be the same pool necessarily. And I, I kind of think that that's what Josh is getting at here. But it's like, that's courtship. That is courtship. 
So, I don't know. Yeah, this this part, uh, he kind of lost me a little bit. Let's move on to number three. So, the third habit of defective dating is dating often mistakes a physical relationship for love. And here we fucking go, right? Am I right? We know I'm right. And I'm just going to say that he starts... He starts this section, I shit you not, with this sentence. Dave and Heidi didn't mean to make out with each other on their first date. Really? Dave doesn't have only one thing on his mind. And Heidi isn't that kind of girl. For fuck's sake. Honestly. So he tells this cringy ass story about Dave and Heidi making out while watching a movie. And this, this section, I'm not even going to really get too much into it, although I say that and I probably will go off on a tangent, watch. But um, this section is basically about the world uh, using sex and love interchangeably and young daters mistaking sex and sexual connection for love. And he kind of tries to build on his other points. He talks about how like the progression of most of most dating relationships is like, building up to sex. Um, he even says that we can clearly see how dating encourages this substitution, the substitution being sex for love. Um, he says that the relationship often steamrolls towards intimacy because dating doesn't really require a commitment. Again, talking about commitment. So, the two people involved are not thinking like long-term commitment so they just let like whatever he says needs and passions that kind of come up just guide the relationship then he says if a guy and a girl skip the friendship stage of their relationship lust often becomes the common interest that brings the couple together and they start you know defining their relationship through like physical physical actions I wrote down in my notes, hormones and self-infliction by the culture. And to be honest, I made these notes a long time ago. don't really remember what I, where I was going with that. But basically, like, teenagers are horny. And so, of course, they're thinking about sex. And this is a great time to talk about how, like, we can, we can reframe it as, like, abstinence- only sex ed doesn't work. Um, just like how Josh was saying, you know, the pastor just basically telling this room full of high school students don't have sex doesn't work. It doesn't work for a lot of reasons. And one is just human nature. Self-infliction by the culture, I think probably what I meant by that was just these, these rules are, are so damaging and they don't have to be, there doesn't have to be all of these rules with, you know, the physicality of dating. And he says, you know, da- dating often mistakes, this is this is his part three, dating often mistakes a physical relationship for love. Well, sometimes, yeah, because sometimes you just want the physical relationship. Other times, no. For some people, the physical relationship is super important for determining if they actually do love that person. Like... I don't think it's necessarily that that one it like that that these two things sex and love are interchangeable like he's trying to argue that they are. 
I think it's more that sex actually does play a big part in a relationship for a lot of people. And this, this idea that it doesn't or that it shouldn't or that it can't is evangelical Christianity's views on dating. Like that's you, that's all you. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way and it's not that way. In reality, it's not that way. And I just want to read this quote uh, from this chapter. He, Josh says, Focusing on the physical is plainly sinful. God demands sexual purity. I actually don't think that's true. I should, I should look into that. I mean, this was certainly, like, like this, is, this is Christianity's, this is like the bedrock of growing up in evangelical Christianity is purity culture and don't have sex. Um, don't have sex with anyone else, don't have sex with yourself, don't even think about sex, don't talk about sex, don't learn about sex, um, don't consume any materials even remotely related to sex. But I don't think that's actually biblical in any way. Um, But yeah, so there's this idea that Josh even says, he, uh, you know, God demands sexual purity. He does this for our own good. What? How is denying your own sexuality? Okay, I'm 33 years old and I'm literally in therapy learning how to be okay with my sexuality as an adult and my identity as a sexual being as an adult because of this fucking belief system. How is that good for us? How is that good for me? How is being so terrified of my body for so much of my life, not just terrified of my own body, but terrified of of the sins that my body would cause, how is that good for me? It wasn't. And I'm here to tell you, if you're listening to this and you're kind of still on the edge, please, please don't ever feel like you are sinful just because of human nature. You're not. Sex is not sinful. Sex is not shameful. You are not sinful and you are not shameful. Your body is not sinful. Your body is not shameful. Who you are attracted to, who you love is not sinful and it's not shameful. I don't know who needs to hear this, but someone is out there and someone needs to hear this. So I'm fucking saying it. Fuck this. Fuck Josh. Fuck this book. Fuck evangelical Christianity. And while I'm at it, fuck the Supreme Court and fuck America. That's just kind of the mood I'm in today. So sorry for that little tangent. I said I was going to go off on a tangent in this section and I, I knew it. I knew it was coming. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm hot and bothered today. But yeah, I just, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I, I refuse to continue being force fed this bullshit. And I know that this book was written like 30 years ago. I don't care. It's still out there. It's it's still out there. The guy who wrote it may have apologized or whatever, but this book has damaged so many people. But even more more so than that, the belief system behind this book has damaged so many people, myself included. So so that's that's why I'm that's why I have this podcast. Every little bit of this culture that I can undo for myself first and foremost, but for others through this work that I'm doing, that's, I mean, that's, that's the Lord's work, quite frankly. So yeah, no, uh, God, I don't think God demands sexual purity. I think the church does, um, because of control, they want to control you and that's how they can control you. That's how they can control teenagers is make them so fucking petrified of their boners that, 
they don't know what to do with themselves. Um, and no, it, it's not for our own good. So let's move on to number four before I have an aneurysm. So number four, and because of the angry tirade I just went on, let me preface number four by saying I don't hate I don't hate point four. I actually really agree with point four. So um, point four is dating often isolates a couple from other vital relationships. And this is so true. It's it's very true uh, with younger people, but it's true with I mean, it's true with adults, too. Other relationships have a tendency to fade into the background while you focus solely on your partner. And he Josh says that this this causes young daters to lose perspective. And yeah, he's right. He he's absolutely right. He tells he tells a story basically. I mean, this is kind of I didn't even really write write down any notes about this because I think this is something that we've all re- like we've all really experienced. He tells the story of this of this couple, Garrett Garrett and Jenny, and basically like they were so wrapped up in each other that they start giving up uh you know time with their friends time with like their families and when they when they would hang out with their friends and families they're basically just talking about each other and you know before you know it you're cut off from all your other relationships like this this is a thing that happens it's it's real and i think that that sometimes it happens without us even really realizing it especially like if you live with your partner of course, like they're the person you see most often. They're you you share a life with them, you share responsibilities with them, you share f- like financial responsibilities with them. So like I get it. But yeah, and I and I'm going to go back to you know, this whole this whole episode and this whole section was started off by this story about these two people breaking up and the girl being really devastated because the guy was ready to move on. It's like that is something that happens just in relationships in general. And, and this is something that happens in relationships in general. What I, and, and I say that because I don't, I don't see this as a reason not to date. <laughs> I don't see this as like a downfall of like worldly dating. Like it's just a thing that happens. Um, but, but, you know, I, I agree with him though. I, I think that it's something that, you know, it's not, it's not great. And it's something that people should be cognizant of and, you know, try to, try to deal with in a healthy way. So point five, dating in many cases distracts young adults from their primary responsibility of preparing for the future. And yeah, okay, let me just read this quote. One of the saddest tendencies of dating is to distract young adults from developing their God-given abilities and skills Instead of equipping themselves with the character, education, and experience necessary to succeed in life, many allow themselves to be consumed by the present needs that dating emphasizes. This is interesting because I see this more as... Again, the irony here is that I see this as a problem for young women in the church. Young women in the church... I was one we're basically told your your role and your destiny is to be a wife and to be a mother that i think causes women to young women in the church to lose sight on 
the other things around them and if you're if you're planning for becoming a wife and mom you're not really thinking about college you're not really thinking about a career you're not really thinking about any sort of vocational training or anything like that you're thinking about finding a husband and finding a husband soon so you have plenty of time to make babies so it's interesting that to him this is like a problem with worldly dating and to me it's a problem with dating in within Christian culture But but yeah, so basically what he's saying is that spending time with each other or being focused on each other takes away from time that could be spent better, you know, figuring out God's plan for your future. Okay, but when you tell when you tell girls from the time that they can walk up through the time they're, you know, an old maid at 22, um, that their destiny and and their goal in life is to find a husband and make babies like I don't know it's just it's this is I literally put in my notes this is a weird one lol because it is so let's go on to to number six dating can cause discontentment with God's gift of singleness and I shit you not I wrote my first bullet point under this one is this one is weird too lol so let me just read a quote A string of uncommitted dating relationships is not the gift. God gives us singleness, a season of our lives unmatched in its boundless opportunities for growth, learning, and service, and we view it as a chance to get bogged down in finding and keeping boyfriends and girlfriends. But we don't find the real beauty of singleness in pursuing romance with as many different people as we want. We find the real beauty in using our freedom to serve God with abandon. So... I I just want to say I'm currently reading a book, an amazing book. I will link to it in the show notes because I think everybody, um, you know, currently dating or single or not um, should read it. It's called A Single Revolution by uh, an author named Shani Silver. And it's all about it's it's geared towards women, but it's basically about learning how in in the simplest terms learning how to live your life and love your life regardless of whether or not you're single so it's it so rather than living rather than being a single person and spending your your time trying to find a partner learning how to be a single person and just live your life and not not be, you know, waiting on finding a partner. I think, I think what this, this quote that I just read, what Josh is saying here is like the churchy version of that kind of. So I understand where he's coming from. I, I, my next bullet point in my notes is we should be using our singleness to further the kingdom, but instead we're too busy bitching about being single, question mark. Um, because it's 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 hard it's hard for me being on the outside looking in because you can't raise people to believe that they are only valuable if they're in a relationship again i'm speaking mostly to young girls in the culture and then turn around and say god gives us singleness this is god's gift of singleness what 
told me that my destiny and my purpose in life is to be a wife and mom. And you also told me that God will provide. So where's my husband and where's my sperm donor? I want to be a wife and I want to be a mom. It's so, so it's, it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're, you're told one thing repeatedly, right? And then Josh is turning around and trying to say, well, no, this is a gift. You should be furthering God's kingdom. You should be growing and, and serving God in this time. Not, not trying to find a boyfriend. What are you doing? It, it, like, it literally can't be both. It literally can't be both. But, but this almost feels like another, another time where he's, he's trying to say something without saying it. Because if you, if you don't want to adhere to the rules of courtship and you don't want to be courted, the other option is you might not find someone, <laughs> right? Like, so, so going back to the crux of the book being like, there's another way, like, if you want to date, like, you can, you can do it, but follow these rules, like, I guess if we, if we, you know, go with the notion that there's, there's worldly dating, there's courtship, and then there's something in between. That in between means giving up control and giving in to the possibility that maybe it's not so, maybe it's not so easy to find a partner. So, so I don't know. Yeah, I, this one is weird. I'm just going to say number six is also very weird. I, I get where he's coming from, but it's, it's just a strange point to make in this within this specific context. So the last point, the last habit of defective dating is that dating creates an artificial environment for evaluating another person's character. He says that typical dating creates an artificial environment for two people to interact in and that this environment hinders them from actually getting to know each other, the real them. And this is super interesting to me I because if like again if we're comparing this to courtship courtship is completely a facade because you're not just dating but you're but you're you're hanging out with the girl you likes parents and like her siblings and and you're so like of course you're going to be on your your best behavior it's it's wild it's so weird so i i think like like he says he says right here being fun on a date doesn't say anything about a person's character or ability to be a good husband or wife <laughs> right but you don't want us to date <laughs> you don't want us you don't you don't think we should be building intimacy you don't think we should be getting to know each other in a romantic context because my relationship with a friend is going to be very different from my relationship with a romantic partner, but you think we should be friends first. So I don't, I think he's, I think this is a good point. Like I agree with the point. I absolutely agree with the point. You're on your best behavior on dating apps. You're on your best behavior on dates. That's not the real you. We're very careful about how, how we 
share parts of who we really are with people that we're, we're interested in romantically or sexually. So this is a great point, but I don't see how it fits in with everything else he's saying. He says that dating is fun because it gives us a break from real life. So then you think we should court to find a partner? Like, I don't, like, what, if, what do you mean dating isn't real life? This is such a good example about how this book was written by someone who had no fucking clue. Honestly, because he then goes on to say, two people weighing the possibility of marriage need to make sure they don't just interact within the fun romantic settings of dating. Their priority shouldn't be to get away from real life. They need a strong dose of objective reality. They need to see each other in the real-life settings of family and friends. That's courtship! He says they need to watch each other serving and working. What does that even fucking mean? Should I invite my date to come watch me at my job? Like, this is, this is just, when, when I say it's written by someone who clearly has no fucking clue, because he is clearly operating within a very specific, very rigid framework of the church. I, I am someone who sees shades of gray in everything, and I'm having a hard time understanding that he's not operating on, you know, black and white. There's, there's worldly dating, there's courtship. He, I think he's, try, he's trying to make this argument that there's something in between, but in this point, in this section, you're saying that dating is just like a fantasy world, not real life, and that what you have to do is watch each other serve, okay, he's talking about like in church, and and interact with them, you know, around their families. Okay, he's talking about courtship. So are you making the argument in favor of courtship? <laughs> it's just, I think, oh, this is, and this is what's so frustrating, because I think this is another point where he's, where he's just like so close, he's so close to the point. Dating shouldn't be all about finding a marriage partner you should be well like dating shouldn't be all about like rushing towards the altar with someone that you barely know like you should be working really hard to get to know them and who they really are like there's like I agree with that I agree but if if you don't if you date and and you're not actively trying to get to know the person that you're dating like that's on you like I don't think you need to write this book and question like worldly dating I think you need to see a therapist or or you know get a self-help book like that's on you so like he says here how how does he interact with the people who know him best how does she react when things don't go perfectly when considering a potential mate, we need to find the answers to these kinds of questions, questions that dating won't answer. Well, why won't, why won't dating answer those questions? Like, you just told me that I need to be dating in groups. So, I'm, so you know, if I follow your advice, then theoretically, I'll see how he interacts with his friends because, of, because the friends will be there on the dates with us. Like, I just... There's just so much like back and forth in this book and this chapter particularly. We're almost at the end. Thank fuck. Um, and, and it's just, I wasn't expecting this book to be well written, but it truly reads like someone who doesn't know what they're talking about because he didn't. He didn't. 
I, I don't remember exactly how old he was when he wrote this book, but he was fresh out of, he might have, I think he was like early 20s maybe. So he was like fresh out of being heavily indoctrinated with what to and not to do when it comes to dating in evangelical culture. And you can fucking tell. You can fucking tell that he has no idea what he's talking about, that he's just been on the receiving end of all this bullshit and that it made him feel some type of way. Josh, I'm right there with you. But like, this was not the answer that we needed it to be. Whew. I I didn't think I would get so worked up in this one. It was basically just, you know, reading a list and I like lists, but (laughs) here we are. Yeah, he, uh, let me just read, read the conclusion to this chapter. He says, old habits die hard. The habits of highly defective dating reveal that we can't fix many of dating's problems by merely dating right. I believe that dating has dangerous tendencies that don't go away just because Christians do the steering. And even those Christians who can avoid the major pitfalls of premarital sex and traumatic breakups often spend much of their energy wrestling with temptation. If you've dated, this probably sounds familiar to you. I think that for too long, we've approached relationships using the world's mindset and values. And if you've tried it, you might agree with me that it just doesn't work. Let's not waste any more time battling the swerving cart of dating. It's time for a new attitude. So I think the biggest take home here is again, just this idea of temptation and just, you can write a whole ass book and call it a, you know, call it a book about, um, dating one way or the other you can talk about you know dating advice whatever and that whole last book is still about how you shouldn't have sex that's this because this 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 conclusion pretty much just sums up this list as don't give in to temptation and when he says temptation he means sex so it's It's really interesting that Josh got away with repackaging the same patriarchal bullshit that was crammed down his throat as his own ideas. I'm curious to see what comes next. I am looking forward to um, moving on to chapter three with you all. Hopefully, hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, I need the time. I mean, I think I said this in the last episode. I initially planned to do the whole part one, which is the first three chapters in one episode. That would have been a fucking marathon. And I'm just not there yet. I don't want, um, I think, you know, some of my episodes are kind of long, but I'm not ready for like a three hour episode quite yet. So um, chapter three will be next. And and it feels like, you know, chapter three is where we're really going to start getting into his own thoughts what he says a new attitude so i'm all ears josh i can't wait um pretty sure there's gonna be some shaming in it pretty sure there's gonna be a lot of like don't have sex in it um and i mean honestly that if if you could wrap up evangelical christianity's attitudes towards dating very simplistically it would be a lot of shame and don't have sex so yeah that makes that that you know that tracks But anyway, the next time you hear from me, I will be uh, covering part two in my series on the myth of Christian persecution in this country. I hope you're all well. I hope you are donating to abortion funds 
please focus your energy and your efforts on um, mutual aid resources in states that are being hit the hardest. Um, please also don't lose sight of the fight surrounding trans rights, um, especially in states like Florida and Texas. Those are going to be become, I mean, not become, they already are very dangerous places for um, trans children to grow up in. Um, so focus your energies there as well. Take care of yourself, stay hydrated, do your skincare, and be good. And I will see you in the next one. Bye.